Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Just a moment, we are very honored to have with us this evening our missionary that will be with us on, in our service on Sunday. And uh, Brother Starin, we're excited that he and his son, Alexander, is here with us in service. And, uh, and, uh, but we're happy to have Brother Starin with us, and I'm, I'm going to just ask him to come and greet you this evening. And, and uh, would you make him welcome tonight? for just a few moments is I want to thank God for the church. We don't realize how great the church is. We don't realize how much the church means to us. My first trip to Lebanon was in 1977. And while I was there, I got very sick, was placed in the hospital. They gave me two weeks to live. So you're probably wondering what happened. I'll get to the bottom line. I did not die. Okay. Uh, Just to let you know, I didn't die. 6,000 miles away. The Lord told my home church in Schenectady, New York, that I needed prayer. They prayed for me. There was tongues and interpretation. And God raised me out of the deathbed, literally. I love the church. 1992, back in Lebanon, somebody put poison in the coffee that they served me. Not knowing it, I I drank the coffee. My chest started to swell to the place where I could barely breathe. Again, I'll get to the bottom line. I did not die. Because 6,000 miles away, God told the man in the church that I was poisoned. He got down and prayed for me and God healed me 6,000 miles away. How great is the church? So as I deputize, one thing that I like to say is I praise God for the church and it is so great to be able to travel throughout North America and to see different congregations and to thank them for what they are doing, not only for missions, but for world evangelism. Amen. Well, we are certainly honored to have uh, Brother Steren and Alexander with us tonight. I am... Um, just feasting on what the Lord is doing in our church. Amen. Amen. I am feasting on that. Let's, let's try that again and get it together. I'm feasting on what the Lord is doing in our church. Amen. Praise the Lord. I didn't think you were not on board with that. I just think I caught you off guard. But, amen, I think we all want to rejoice in what the Spirit of the Lord is doing and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that has just been so evident in our midst and such a very promising uh, presence of the Lord to lead and guide and direct our lives. I appreciate that very, very much. I'm thankful for that testimony that we just heard because uh, 
it just reminds me that we should never ignore that inclination to pray. Because you just have no idea. Sometimes it may be detailed and you may know what's going on, but other times we just may feel something in our heart that pulls and tugs us. And at that moment, how important it is to to uh, be obedient to that and let the Spirit of the Lord touch our lives. And through that, we have no idea who else's life can and will be touched. We may know about that on this side of eternity, and we may never know uh, those details, but that's not the important part. The important part was that God tugged at our heart. We responded to that, and a prayer was answered, and I'm thankful for that very, very much. I am going to just feel in, in the Lord to just... I'm just going to keep doing what we've been doing here. <laughs> and uh, I don't think this started in a uh, just a random way in the eyes of God. But uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about Moses. And I just want to draw from this a few points. Uh, not normally my style, but we're just going to ask the Lord to touch us this evening and uh, help us. I feel like God has not only given me something for tonight, but I feel like today he... He just touched my heart for Sunday morning as well already, and so uh, let's just let's just see what the Lord will do for us here this evening. We have been looking into the life of Moses, and uh, as I said last Wednesday night when this when this started, that we're just talking about some things in the life of Moses. There would be obvious and apparent if you know about Moses that we we certainly could not stop at every scenic overlook in his life. And uh, take a few moments to even say a few words. It's such a full story, a man with so much rich history. But I certainly want to pause at the things that I feel like God is leading me to in this. And uh, I'm going to be very honest with you this evening. I think the Lord is doing more than what we can see. Amen. I think God is doing more than we can even sense here. There's just something about being obedient to the presence of the Lord and the power of God and his word. And so we've been looking, of course, at a very interesting story of one of the most intriguing characters in the word of God, Moses and uh, his life and how that God preserved that seed against all odds and placed him in the proper hands that would position him to be the deliverer of the children of Israel And uh, so this evening where we pick up in the story is Moses confronting Pharaoh about the deliverance of Egypt, uh, about their deliverance from Egypt. And so when we, uh, as best I remember from Sunday, Sunday was quite a a marvelous move of God here, but uh, where we left Moses, uh, God had called him to deliver the Jewish people. He had been sent to exile for 40 years because of uh, of, of his impatience, there's just no way better to put that. Um, there was just something so spontaneous about Moses. And as I have mentioned in this, uh, the last couple of times that we have visited this, that no doubt it was some of that spontaneity that God could use for the good. But that left unchecked can obviously get us in trouble. So I want to be open and responsive to the presence of God, but I certainly don't want to ever forget the words of David where he said, my foot standeth in an even place. And so we must seek God for that divine sense of balance to bring us into check. Uh, Moses took matters into his own hands, killed an Egyptian. When he uh, later tried to settle an argument between two Hebrews, they made him aware of the fact that they were 
that they had seen this murder and they had seen the conspiracy to cover it up. And uh, when Pharaoh found out about this, he sought to kill him. So Moses is running for his life. After 40 years, he has spent 40 years of, uh, of great success, 40 years of, uh, as I've said, finding out that he was somebody. Now he has spent 40 years finding out that he is nobody. And in the presence of all of that, God speaks to him through a burning bush. The message was clear, concise, straight to the point, but it was a very, very tall order. And so sometimes I think that we can look at this little scene in our minds, ever how we envision that, ever how you envision that personally, of Moses standing at the burning bush. That's far more than just a Sunday school story, but what an intricate moment in time that Moses is standing here with instructions that is destined not only to change, we know the end of the story so we understand uh, the value of what is about to happen. But what I want to do this evening, again, is not just skip to the end of the story, but let's just make some exits off of this journey. The message was to go to Pharaoh and demand the release of the children of Israel. The Lord had also made it clear to Moses up front that this is not going to be an easy task. Amen. This is not going to be an easy task. I think about that and I think about other men and uh, leaders in scripture who were essentially given the same instructions. The Lord spoke to Ezekiel and told them that he was to be a voice. He was going to be a representative of God himself. And then he puts a comma in the sentence and says, by the way, I'm sending you to a very stiff-necked and hard-headed people and they may not even hear you. Some, if they hear, they hear. If they don't, they don't. And, and it just seems almost, not to seem sacrilegious, almost cavalier in this response. If they hear you, they hear you. If they don't, they don't. But here's the point. All of this that they might know there was a prophet in their midst. And so what stringent, strong words. And so the Lord lets Moses know this is a battle ahead of you. So he said that Pharaoh would harden his heart and that he would not just release them of his own goodwill. This is going to be a fight. And so I think as we study this together, we need to understand that, uh, understand this in the sense, or view this, if we may, in the sense of an allegory or a parable. And so with that thought in mind, we move forward. We look at Pharaoh this evening and we could easily liken him in this hour, we could easily liken him unto Satan. And just as Pharaoh did not want to release the the Israelites, I can tell you today that Satan does not want to lose his hold on those that are bound by sin. And so if we ourselves, like Moses, think that this is going to be an easy task. Now, I I want to just say that I'm not here to be negative or paint anybody's world gray, but we've got to be realist. And so if we think we're just going to come together and just because we have a property and building and a schedule that we're just going to come together and everything's just going to fall in place like a deck of cards, we've got another thing coming. It's not going to take, it's going to take far more than just a little bit of organization and far more than programs to reach somebody and break that chain of sin. The scripture emphatically lets us know that it is the anointing and the anointing alone that destroys the yoke and the bondage of sin. And so we can't conjure up anointing. You can't just be talented and be anointed. We've got to have a relationship with God himself for that anointing to flow in our lives. And so again, I will say that it's a wonderful thing to have a church. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of the church. 
Amen. I'm glad that the church is not just what's represented here in this building, but all around the world, the body of Christ. Amen. But I'm thankful to be a part of a prayerful church, a spiritual church, but that alone does not make me prayerful, and that does not make me spiritual. As I've said a lot of times in our giving, just by, I'm thankful for what our involvement in, in not only global missions, but our involvement in North American missions. And so I think we can safely say that we are a giving church. But that title as a giving church does not make me as an individual a giving person. Amen. Please don't get quiet on me now. Amen. What makes me know I'm a giving person is what I see in my check register. In my check register. And what I do. What I give. What makes me a praying person, a prayerful person is how much prayer time I actually pray. Amen. And what time, what uh, the, what time I give to God in fasting and consecration. And so I can't just connect myself to you and think that makes me okay. Amen. And so we would say, Lord, help us to realize that it's going to take the anointing of God. And so when the spirit of the Lord begins to move, I don't want to try to run and find somebody else spiritual to stand beside. I want to be that spiritual person that can pray a prayer of faith. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't always want to have to be calling righteous people into my life. I want to reach the day, please take this in the spirit that I say it in, but I want to reach the day that I can be that righteous man to pray an effectual fervent prayer. Amen. And so Satan doesn't want to release people from the clutches of sin. And so we must realize, like Pharaoh wanting to hold on, the enemy wants to hold on. And so let's look at this parallel and make this journey together. In the book of Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he should fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Now Moses may have hoped that he could have just walked right into the court of Pharaoh and said, I'm here on orders of the king. And the Lord has said, let my people go. But what he faced was a man and a voice and a personality that was not intimidated by his God. I don't even know your God. So why should I let these people go or why should I be concerned? So every hope or dream or desire that Moses may have had in the, in the center of his mind all just crumbled to dust in one short conversation. He would make his demand, amen, and he would have gone along with, he would have him gone along with that plan and said, I will grant you that request, but that is not at all how it played out. By the same token, we sometimes believe that where God and when God leads us to do something, that perhaps doors are just going to open. Everything is going to just fall into place, but it isn't always that easy. And again, I want to reassure you that I'm not trying to be negative or cynical but we have to deal with the real world. Because I'm telling you that there are times that God has called me to do something, but that didn't mean that everything just opened before me to accomplish that. But I had to know that I was called to do that. And so we have to understand something 
that when we are in the will of God, we must brace ourselves for opposition because the enemy is going to do everything he can to circumvent not only what God has called us to do and shown us, but he is trying to circumvent that that God has not even revealed to us yet somewhere down the road. So wherever life takes us, Amen. Our steps of obedience, sometimes the enemy is going to be right there in that path to oppose us. And that's exactly what happened to Moses. Not only did Pharaoh not release the Jews, but he actually increased their workload. He made things worse than they were to begin with. Nothing was going right at this point. As a matter of fact, we could easily say Moses would think everything has fallen apart. This is not really how I envisioned it. I thought that I was just going to do this and it would all be well. I've told this story several times through the years, so just bear with me. But I remember many years ago hearing about a man who had gone to a church and he had just been there pastoring just a few months and he called his pastor an elder and he said, I just don't understand. He said, I've already preached against something twice and people are still doing it. (laughs) Brace yourself, my friend. (laughs) brace yourself that's not how it happened that's not Moses had envisioned that this is what's going to happen God has sent me here and you are going to release them and everything is going to be all right. so things seem to be falling apart getting worse by the moment as a matter of fact as we read this incrementally we find out that even the Israelites were turning against Moses at this point it seems the very nature of this encounter Moses had with Pharaoh was was designed to elicit some some sort of response, and it did. The nature of the message was designed to deliver. The nature of the message was designed for freedom, for people to be set free. His demand was pretty straightforward. No need to really think about it too often or too long. Let my people go. I mean, no negotiating here. It's just that simple plea, that require, that that uh, that requisition. I want you to let my people go. We're not negotiating this. Amen. I'm going to say tonight that by the same token, we have been given a gospel message that is straightforward. And it needs to be declared straightforward. It's a plain and simple message. Let my people go. Amen. Because because when you draw lines in the sand, as I've said so many times, when you draw lines in the sand, that's where people start collecting on teams. Amen. And so the very nature of this, the very nature of the gospel demands a response. And because it can be offensive to many people, I mean, the, the nature of the gospel, we have to decide. We have to make up our mind. What are we going to do? When we find Jesus in his earthly ministry, as things begin to kind of wind down and the rubber is hitting the road, as they say, people were falling away and Jesus looked at those that remained and he point blank asked them, will you go as well? Are you going to leave me as well? I don't think that Jesus was being pompous or arrogant, but I would think that he was underlining the clarity and the concise nature of this gospel message. We have to make up our mind. We have to decide. The gospel means good news, of course, and it would seem to me that someone that's lost to hear that God would love you and has a plan for your life, that would be good news. And that is true if that's all there was to the gospel, but that's not all of the story. The gospel also says this, 
like Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. As a matter of fact, that scripture and those words were so important that Jesus repeated that again identically just a couple of verses later in verse 5. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The gospel is good news, but the gospel also solicits a response. We have to respond to the word of God. Amen. I have to respond to the word of God. I know that it seems as though in the last several services we've been using that word a whole lot, but that word is just branded in my spirit that we must respond to the will of God, the word of God, and we must respond to the spirit of God. In John 3 and 3, we read verses like this. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Gospel, amen, the gospel, good news, that is good news, but it, it, it does demand a response. We're gonna have to do something about that. We can't just read that and, and just ponder on that a moment and close the Bible, put the book back on the shelf, but we're going to have to understand this requires some action of me on my part. Like Mark 16 and 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Amen. There is a response that is required by the gospel. Amen. These are words that separate. These are words that define. Amen. I'm telling you that the spirit of God is reaching to all that are lost. The Spirit of God is reaching to all that are outside. Amen. The saving mercy of the Lord. He's reaching for them tonight. But we can't just hear this and walk away. We can't just come to church and think we're going to leave just like we came in tonight. It will not happen. We are going to be changed for the better or for the worse by our very presence here this evening because we have gathered together in his name. One man said, you can get along with almost anyone until you say, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> when you say, thus saith the Lord. Amen. And we begin to realize this is not all about me. And I am not the center of this universe. We have got to understand that God is calling us. Paul spoke of, of this as the offense of the cross. That's what he said in Galatians 5 and 11, the offense of the cross. Sometimes in our attempt to appeal to people, we don't make this clear enough. We think about the syrupy gospel that is preached today across our world. Amen. It declares nothing less, less than health, wealth, and prosperity. If you'll just live for God, you'll never have another bad day. If you'll just serve the Lord, nothing else negative, you'll never have another sickness. You'll never have another financial need. How many tonight know that that's just not how that plays out and that's not how God ever intended for that to play out? Amen. To be sure, to be sure, there are undeniable blessings that come our way from serving the Lord. Amen. But there is far more to it than just that. I can see how Moses would have been reluctant to deliver this message, but he was faithful to his God. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Who is the Lord that I should do this? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So now, the gauntlet is thrown down. 
Now that line has been drawn in the sand. Moses said, you will let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I will not furthermore let these people go. And so it was a decision, of course, for Pharaoh that he would live to regret. To make matters worse, Pharaoh increases the workload of the Jews. He takes away the straw that he was providing for them for the brick making. And now he says, you're going to have to gather your own straw. Now here is the odd end result of all of this. Amen. The odd end result is that, that the children of Israel did not direct their anger toward Pharaoh for this increased labor task, but they directed their anger to Moses. Go figure. Moses is there trying to help them. He stirs a hornet's nest. And, the, and here are the children of Israel that he is reaching for and pleading for to deliver them. And now they're not angry with Pharaoh, but they're angry with Moses. And as we know the story, this won't be the last time they're angry with Moses. Essentially, they told Moses that he had placed a sword in the enemy's hand. You have, you have given our enemy something to work against us. And so this leaves Moses now questioning everything. This leaves Moses uh, with a few questions of his own. He asked the Lord in Exodus 5 and 20, uh, down through a few verses over into Exodus chapter 6, he asked questions to the Lord like this, why have you brought trouble upon your people? Why is it that you even have sent me? Why am I even in this mix? How did I get in this to begin with? And so he says, ever since I came to to Pharaoh, and I did what you asked me to do. Things have just gotten worse. And so I'm asking you, Lord, what in the world is going on? He said, Lord, you haven't even delivered your people at all. Everything, we're just rolling along, and now we're talking about deliverance. And, and a, a moment ago, we were talking about deliverance, and now things are worse than they have ever been. Basically, I think it's fair to say that Moses was complaining. They blame it on Moses. Moses blames it on God. And then the Lord says to Moses, I am the Lord that appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, and I have remembered my covenant. I will rescue and I will redeem, he says, with an outstretched arm. Amen, if you, if you are my people and I will be your God. Amen, Moses is levying his complaint. He's asking some questions that in all, in the sake of just uh, humankind, I think it's fair questions. And God just steps on the scene and reminds him that I have already established a covenant before you ever come along here, Moses. Amen, I have this established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have heard the groaning of my people. As a matter of fact, that's why you're even on the scene, Moses, so let's not lose sight of all of this because Moses was living in that particular moment just like you and I. Moses froze himself in that moment and said what in the world is going on and what am I even doing here he failed to see the big picture and realize that I had my hand on you before you were even born amen and so I want to reach tonight into somebody's life and tell us that if we just look at our lives in the brackets of right now if we just look at our lives in the brackets of here and now in the month of August in the year 2016 if we just look at here and now we 
we may wonder what in the world is going on. But can I tell you in the name of the Lord that God knew you were going to be here tonight and he knows where you are in your life this very moment. And this is not a random act. This is not a random thing here tonight. But God is ordering steps and that has brought all of us to where we are this very moment. Amen. We're, we're reminded that, that whenever we undertake a work for God, the enemy will be there to attack that. I don't say that to be negative. I say that, I say that to be informative for us to understand that many times when we're trying to move forward and we feel that resistance pushing back, that's not time for us to step back, but that's time for us to lean forward and say, hey, we gotta press through this because God is calling us to another place. We see this. What a great story. We see this paralleled in the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was under the power, uh, Nehemiah was under the power of the Babylonian Empire. He goes to the king. He asks him for permission to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so when they begin to rebuild the walls, of course, they're opposed. Ironically, the other Jews who have been living there had never done anything to rebuild these walls and they too were opposing them. And so here's my point, that when we undertake sometimes a work for God, we may not only just get opposition from without, but you may get opposition from within. Amen. You can find that parallel through, you can find that chronicled through scripture again and again. That always our opposition is not from without, but it is from within. I have had people, well-meaning people, I don't want to sound cruel here tonight, or, but I've had well-meaning people look at me and say, it will never work. I've had well-meaning people say to me that what you're thinking is absolutely beyond the realm of reason. You'll never make it, you'll never survive, it will never happen. The very voices that you thought would be there to rally you on and the hands that you thought would lift your your arms when they were weary. The, the, The voices that you thought would be there to encourage were the voices that were trying to oppose. And so I say, Lord, help me to get it in my heart. When I have heard a word from you, I gotta wrap my hands and my arms around that. I gotta get a death grip on that, Lord, and realize that my opposition, no matter where it comes from, I wanna stand true for you. Amen. It is said that a leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but when they are there, when they arrive, they're glad they went. Amen. How many times we've seen that. Somebody nudge us out from our our routine. Somebody push and prod us out of the norm. Somebody kind of push and prod us and we think, I don't know if I want to do this. And then when we get there, we're thinking, I'm so glad. Amen, that's what a leader does. A leader looks down the road and sometimes we don't want to go there because we're comfortable here. But God is trying to get us to go there. We like things the way they are and don't want to change. A leader has to be willing to say, let's move and then keep moving, moving, moving. And sometimes, in all fairness, that's not easy. Moses was being called to do this very thing. He knew the end game. He knew this would require a confrontation with Pharaoh. This is going to have to happen. Moses realized that Pharaoh is not going to do this on his own. This is going to be face to face, toe to toe, hand to hand. In truth, it was Pharaoh and the Lord. In truth, we understand that. We're reading this. It was really Pharaoh and the Lord. But Moses couldn't see this. 
because Moses was the one in the middle. I said many times throughout this that God often needs human hands. The battle was really between Pharaoh and, and the Lord, but the Lord needed the hands of Moses. He needed him. And so sometimes when you think people are assaulting you, they're not really assaulting you. They're assaulting God. It's just your hands. It's just your mind. It's just you that they're coming against. So let's see what happens in Exodus chapter 7 and verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and, did, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, and they did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Verse 13, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Verse 13 seems to be a little controversial Amen, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Verse three says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we would ask ourselves, maybe did Pharaoh have no choice in this matter? Was he just minding his own business and God hardened his heart to the things that are going on? I think the answer to that is yes and no. The word that is used here for harden is the same as the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart in verse number three and it could be translated to strengthen or to stiffen. But here's what it comes down to. I think that the choice was Pharaoh's. I think the choice was Pharaoh's much like the choice is ours. Amen. Pharaoh hardened his heart and so God strengthened him in that decision. And I want to be very forward with you tonight and tell you that if we harden our heart against God, he can strengthen us in that decision. If you don't want to live for me, well, I'll strengthen you in that decision. I'll help you in that decision. But if you want to live for me, I will harden you. I will strengthen you in that decision. So I think it's very important what side of the line that we throw our towel down on and say, Lord, I'm on this side. Amen. There's an old song that used to be saying, who is on the Lord's side among you? I want to make sure that I throw my towel down on the Lord's side. And the, the Lord strengthened my heart in that regard. Here's, I, I said all that to say this, that God will not overrule the will of men. He's not going to make us serve him. He's not going to make us do that. Amen. He's given us the ability to choose and the Lord was strengthening him in the choice that he had already made in his heart. That's why I want to make sure every day that my heart is right with God. Amen. I want to make sure, Lord, I want you to strengthen my heart today to serve you. I want you to strengthen my heart to do what is right before you, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the man that initiated that and so Pharaoh was the one who hardened essentially his own heart. And as the story unfolds, we say Pharaoh's heart grow harder and harder as miraculous things, supernatural things are taking place in Egypt. Clearly, the Lord had, had, had gave to Pharaoh more than enough evidence to convince him that he was the, that he was more powerful than the God of Egypt's, than the, the gods of Egypt. He meant he was far more prominent than the gods of Egypt. He was trying to convince him who he was. And we see that instead of Pharaoh softening to those things, that he become more embittered against those things. The Lord was giving 
Pharaoh chance after chance after chance to cooperate, but he would have nothing to do with it. I wonder tonight what it would look like if we could see that if we could just see that scroll unfolded before us of how many opportunities God has given us, how many not second chances or third chances, but over and over and over that God's mercy, amen, that mercy that is new every day if God were to reveal to us all the opportunities that he has given us, how humbling it would be to know that God loved me enough. It would be enough for me to never say again, Lord, where are you? Or do you even care where I am today. God's mercy that has been fresh, it was fresh this morning and I've got a promise that it'll be fresh in the morning. That mercy again and again and again. Amen. In turn, to turn from the truth is to become thoroughly entrenched in darkness. To turn from the truth is to become thoroughly entrenched in darkness. I'm talking about some very serious things tonight. Pharaoh saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and it only made him harder. It's an interesting thing. When you're exposed to the truth of God and you don't respond appropriately to that, your heart will get hard to those things. So it's an important thing when God begins to open our eyes to things, how we respond to that. I'm responsible now. I, I've got some knowledge to he that knoweth to do good and to, to him then doeth it not. To him it becomes a sin. And so there is some accountability. There is some responsibility that comes with this. And that's what I mentioned a moment ago that we can't come to church and leave the same way because the word and the spirit of God will either soften us to his word and his will or it will harden us to his word and his will. And I say tonight, Lord, help me to realize that I can't just come into this house and be what you want me to be. I've got to be proactive about this. I've got to initiate some things in my life. It's not just about what I do tonight from 7.30 to 8.30 or 9 o'clock. It's not just what we do here on Sunday from 10 o'clock to whenever. Amen. But it's what I do about that when I get home. It's what I do in the morning. It's what I'm doing tomorrow night. It's where God can find me on Saturday. On Monday afternoon, those are the things that matter. I gotta be softened to the things of God. Amen. We're getting either getting closer to God when we come into his presence or we're becoming more cynical. Amen. And I'm going to tell you that I have done this long enough to realize the value and the merit of what I just said. That we either come and love God more and more or we get more and more cynical about the things of God. Amen. And that's exactly what happened to Pharaoh. I think this refutes the belief that miracles will somehow produce belief. We think that if we could just experience, and I'm not certainly, you know, me better than to know that I'm speaking against the miraculous. I certainly believe in that and have had my fair share of God doing miraculous things in my life. We just heard testimonies this, this afternoon about miracles, but I'm gonna tell you that if we think that alone will cause people to serve God, we're thinking wrong. Amen, we're thinking wrong. Amen, the, the rich man in hell said, if you could just somehow, if you could just somehow send Lazarus, 
if he could just go to my brothers, that miracle, that voice, that word, that would be enough. That would be enough. But the Lord said what? They have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe the one raised from the dead. And so I can tell you that through the years, we've watched huge revivals. And and again, please keep this in context because I'm not being negative or cynical about this. Amen. But we think about revivals that have gone on around the world and certainly even in our nation and people flock to it. Amen. And when that's all said and done, where do people wind up? Right back in the rut. Because you see, it's got to be more to it than that. There has to be a decision. We've got to respond to the presence and to the word of God. And so we think if, if we just had some miracle, this building would fill up. You know what? It might for a few services. But when we got right back to just preaching the word and say, let's live for God and let's do right. And then people find their own way back out. And so I say it's not enough for just signs, miracles, and wonders. We need to fall in love with the word of God. Amen. What is that? He said because they had not a love for the truth. They had not a love for the truth. A pastor called me Monday and he said, I, I just want to I ask you, he said, what in the world is causing people to fall away? He was talking about a particular situation. I said, I'm going to tell you what I feel in my heart. I mean, you got to have a love for this truth, not just a love for the building, not just a love for tradition, not just a love for a song, not just a love for a program, not just an affection or affinity to certain things. We got to love the saith the word of the Lord. I've got to hide that word in my heart. Ezekiel was told, he, he said, eat that, ingest that, digest this word, get this word into us. We've got to fall in love with the word of God. Man, you tell me who experienced larger miracles than Pharaoh. He saw huge The Nile River turning to blood. Wouldn't you think it's I'm in? <laughs> I give. I get it now. I see clearly now. No. His heart got harder and harder. So I say this this evening if our musicians would make their way back to the platform. Ten plagues, and we'll talk about more about this later, but ten plagues came upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so we could ask ourselves, why? Why would God send these judgments? What is up? What, what's going on? Why would God do this? I, I think perhaps there are certainly multiple reasons. I don't pretend to give you all of them. But I believe that some of this, some of the judgments that came upon Egypt was for nothing less than a public manifestation of the power and the might of God. Now, when I say for God to flex his muscles, I don't want you to take that wrong because God didn't need to impress anybody. But I think he was trying to prove something. The Bible says in Exodus 9 and 16, and in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up talking about Pharaoh, that to show in thee my power and that my name might be declared through all the earth. The Lord was showing his might, not, not for the sake of showing off, but for the sake of showing his ability. He can. 
He can. I believe, secondly, that they were a judgment on Pharaoh in Egypt for their mistreatment of the Jews. It was a judgment against them. Remember that promise from Genesis where God said to Abraham, he said, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. Friend, that is still relative to this day. I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. I want to always be kind and generous and I want to always be thankful and courteous for people who do kind things to me and for me. But you know what? If I never raise my hand to even wave or shake their hand or say thank you, God is going to bless them that bless. Amen. Pharaoh later admitted this in Exodus 10 and 16. The Bible says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Finally, these judgments were specifically aimed, and we'll talk more about this Sunday, but they, these judgments were specifically aimed at and against the gods of Egypt. And so it's important that when we read the stories of all of the, of all of the, uh, the, tr- the tribulations that came against Egypt, again, these are not random. God was pointing, specifically underlining certain and various things. We'll talk about that Sunday some more. And so God didn't just say, well, we're going to have this plague. And he just kind of plucked that out of the sky. Pharaoh understood Pharaoh got it. The people of Egypt, they got it. We may read it and not understand completely, but they understood exactly what God was trying to say. In Egypt, they worshipped millions of God. You name it, they worshipped it. The Egyptians, to them, almost everything was a deity. And so just for instance, the Nile River was a God. And so God struck that river. It wasn't just about turning water to blood. It was about touching their God to show them, I will show you who is in charge. Lice was their God. Frogs were their God. So these judgments were directed. Amen. He was very, very specific. God knew what he was doing. Tonight I want you to understand that the Lord knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly where we are. And nothing is lost to him. Not one slight detail is lost to him. And so I say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Can we end with that song that we sang Sunday? There's a voice calling me. Draw me closer to you, Lord. Amen. I want us to stand because I feel that voice. I asked Brother Rayleigh just a moment ago. He found the scripture for me in Exodus 33 where, where, where Moses said, I want to see you. I want to see you face to face. He said, well, you can't see me and live, but there is a place by me. There is a place by me. I've mentioned this a whole lot through the years. I don't say that apologetically. But I feel there is an extended arm of God that is pulling us one more time, one more time to that place by Him, to that place by Him. Amen. I I feel sincerely in my heart that God is calling individually this evening But I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that God is calling collectively for us as a church 
to be more unified than we've ever been, to have more harmony than we've ever had, to be more in step and in sync than we have ever been, that place, that place that is close to Him. Amen. I wonder this evening if we could just gather around the front. Could we close in family prayer? Amen. Could we let this song, could we let this song be our prayer tonight that God would touch us somehow? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.